Welcome, everyone. We are so glad that you're with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. So glad you're with us. Everybody else connecting with us online. We are so happy to be able to have uh, services on campus and online. And whichever way works best for you, we love you. And we're so glad you've connected with us and are part of us. We are in a series called Navigating the New Normal. Now, before I get into it, I know Andy already did a little begging and pleading for helpers in the children's ministry area programming. We are anxious about getting that started back up again. We love, uh, we believe that's one of the most vital things we do as a church is our children's ministries programming. So if you can help out with that, if you can volunteer, even just maybe one Sunday a month or however often you could do it, if you would let Andy know, remember that email is andyc at lakeshorechristian.com. You can email Andy or call him uh, or uh, stop by his house. I'll give you the address later, anytime, night or day, and let Andy know that you'd like to help out with that. That would be great. But we are in this series called Navigating the New Normal. And I saw this meme again the other day, and, and it came out early on. People were talking about how they hated that phrase, the new normal. And, and this one came up uh, recently again, and I wanted to share it with you, the new norm. Now, some of you are not old enough to remember. This is from the show Cheers, and this guy's name was Norm. And every time he walked in, everybody said, hey, Norm, you know, so... Uh, that's the new norm is wearing the mask now. Uh, I don't know how he's going to drink his beer with the mask on. We'll see. He'll have to take that down. Uh, but I thought we'd have some fun with that. I know this new normal is not all fun and games for sure. We're all having to adjust. And I, I, I want to brag on our Lakeshore Church family. I know not everybody agrees on wearing masks and all of the social distance, all of that stuff. I know not everybody agrees on that. But I am so grateful that our church family has stayed unified and loving and caring toward others. And as you've come in, you've been willing to wear your mask and, and make those adjustments that we had to make in order for us to have our services. And, and I'm just so thankful everyone is doing such a good job with this. And uh, whether you agree with that or not, we can do that as an act of love and care. So thank you for showing that kind of love to us. Um, in this series, we've been talking about looking at the Apostles Paul letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, in the New Testament, the letter of Philippians. And in that letter, Paul is writing from a place of new normal for him. He had been a traveling missionary, we call him Christ now. He's been a while, he's been going through beatings, shipwrecks, and now he's not and waiting for trial and this letter. I think about three years ago, I, I coined a phrase, I, I guess probably other people had said it, but I adopted this phrase, but I used it over again. They were complaining about things and how hard I was. And my response automatically always was, this ain't heaven yet. We can't expect it to be like heaven. This is a fallen world under the curse of sin, and under the curse, everybody, everybody, everybody. things. It doesn't mean we accept it as good. That's not what we're saying. It's just that's part of living in a fallen world. And so how do we respond knowing this ain't heaven yet? This ain't heaven yet implies that we are looking forward to heaven, that heaven is yet to come. Something better is out there on the horizon. And that's what I want us to focus on today is how we need to have hope beyond this temporary world that we're in. We're going to be focusing today on Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And we're going to look at three contrasts that Paul gives us when it comes to the difference between focusing on the immediate temporary things or focusing our hope beyond this world. The first contrast, he says, is this. For Christ followers, we hope in the spiritual not the flesh. We put our hope in the spiritual things, 
not in the flesh. Let's pick up with verse 1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters. Further means in light of everything we've already talked about, okay? In light of all the, the things we've already seen that we need to be doing in our new normal. In light of that, further, here, here's some more I want to add to that. Here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. There's that theme again, right? In our new normal, what should be our attitude? It should be an attitude of rejoicing in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, who, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now I want you to catch the context of what he's talking about here. There, there's a group out there that was at that time beginning to be known as the Judaizers, and they were saying that in order to be right with God, you still had to follow the, the Jewish law and do everything that the Jewish law required. But Paul is emphasizing, no, that law's been fulfilled. It's been completed now. Now we're under a new covenant, and it's not based on the requirements of the old law. It's based in the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, under the old law, Jewish males had to be circumcised, and, and, and they were uh, seen as set apart for God. That was one of the signs that they were set apart for God as God's people. And that's a good thing to have that identifying mark that you're set apart for God. But under the new covenant, it's no longer a mark of the flesh. It's a mark of the spirit that identifies us as being children of God. The old covenant was good, but it was pointing toward, leading toward the new covenant. And in the New Covenant, the identifying mark is no longer a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. We are marked with His Spirit as belonging to the family of God. The indwelling of God's Spirit in us. It's easier than having to walk by the Spirit. So now it's with God. That's what the New Covenant is about. Our duty with God as followers is to identify with Christ. There's a book out by Thomas Harris. It was called, I'm okay, you're okay. Now, the reason I read that book because that book, and it was like it became a seller, people didn't know the book was this. That's the only way to look at people. The one is, I'm okay, you're not okay. All right, I'm okay, you're not okay. The other way you look at people is, I'm okay, but you're okay. You got something to eat, I'm okay. I can never go on you. Everybody else is good, okay? On our own in the flesh, none of us are okay. Not on our own. Paul said it this way in another letter, Romans 3, beginning with verse 23, he said this, For all have, what's that word? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does that sound like we're okay? Does that sound like anybody's okay? No. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says, but he didn't stop there. He says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So there's hope out there, but that hope is found in the person of Christ, in the work of Christ, not in our own flesh, not in being circumcised, not in putting the emblem on the car, not in having membership at a church. It's in our identity with Christ. That's where our hope comes from. So I'm not okay, and you're not okay apart from Christ. Our culture is working really hard right now to try to convince everybody that no matter how you feel or what you believe or how you act, 
it's all okay. It's all okay. And not only do we have to tolerate it, not only do we have to accept it, we have to celebrate it. Whatever anybody chooses to do, however they want to live their lives, not only do we have to tolerate and accept, but we have to celebrate and support as a great thing. But that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches I'm not okay and you're not okay. You see, the difference is we, we could go too far to either extreme. We could go so far to the extreme that it doesn't matter what you believe or what you do, it's all good. That's the wrong extreme. We can also go to the other extreme, which is we're the only ones okay and you're not. That's the other extreme. As if we have this self-righteousness because we do good things, right? Like I've said before, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, right? So I'm okay. I'm okay. No, I'm not okay. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. None of us in our flesh can measure up to the standard of the holiness and the glory of God. The perfection of his holiness. It's what is needed to dwell in that place we know as heaven. You see, <coughs> heaven is such a perfect place that no sin can be there at all. Because if any sin is allowed there, it's not heaven anymore. Sin is what brings the problem. Sin is what brings the hurt. Sin is what brings the pain. We want to get away from all that, right? But if we let sin in there, we can't have heaven. And in the flesh, we've all sinned. The Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life. Of the people of Israel, so I belong to the set apart people of God, right? I was born into that. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin, a tribe that was in favor with God in the Old Testament, okay? A Hebrew of Hebrews, talking about I was as good a Hebrew, a, a, a person, a, a man of God as anybody, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, he brings that up because the Pharisees took great pride in how they kept God's law. Every little bit, every jot and tittle, you could say, every little dot over the I and crossing of the T, the Pharisees made sure they strictly kept the law. And not only that, but they added hundreds of laws to God's law that they put on people to, to have to follow. So they were really into the law and the keeping of the law. Okay? So in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, enthusiasm, commitment, a persecutor of the church. You see, the Jews, when Christianity was first introduced, saw it as a threat, and they persecuted those who would leave Judaism and convert to Christianity. And Paul said, I was right there with you. I was leading the way, leading the charge to persecute Christians. As for righteousness based on the law, he says, faultless. Their mindset was, if we can just work on ourselves and do better and follow the law better, then we can be found righteous and be welcomed by God. But the scripture says all have what? Sinned. And the law did not teach us how to never sin again. What the law did was reveal our sin to us. You see, none of us have perfectly kept the law. Even if that was how you had to get righteousness, 
None of us have perfectly kept God's law, ever. Not a one of us. All have sinned. So if righteousness comes from keeping the law, then none of us has a chance to be righteous in the eyes of God. None of us. Because we can't keep it perfectly. You say, well, I've done pretty good, right? I, I, I've, I've kept most of it. Well, if you break any of it, you are a lawbreaker. You've come short. You don't measure up. If you've broken any of the law, any little bit of it, you're a lawbreaker. So you can't be found righteous if you've broken any of the law. Neither can I. In the eyes of the world, looking at Paul, before he converted to Christianity, a Jewish person would have said, Paul has it all. He, he's a guy that's got his act together. He's what I want to be like. He's the man I want to emulate. He's the one I look up to. He's the one that's the right example for everyone else. They would have all thought that about Paul. He had it all good. Paul says, I saw the that was Whatever means to me, I now consider lost the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider anything else because of the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, what's that word? Garbage, that I may gain Christ. Now, he's not saying that he's garbage. He's saying garbage come to what I have gained in Christ. Okay? If you put those two things in comparison and you had to pick one, he's saying, I pick Christ every single time. It's so much better, so much more valuable than all that other stuff I can list on my resume. Make you do all the right things, check off all the right boxes, because that's what makes you successful. Do all this stuff like I've he said, we're going to wreath the flowers here at our grand opening that's got a sign on it that says, sorry for your loss. Or say, you think that's across town that says, best of luck in your new location. <laughs> when it comes to our eternity, luck's got nothing to do with it, friends. Absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all about being given the righteousness of Christ to substitute for our flawed, failed attempt at righteousness. That's exactly what we all are totally dependent on, to know that we have heaven as something to look forward to. In Hebrews 9.22, uh, he reminded us, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So he's reminding those, those who received that letter, and us now as we study it, he's reminding us that God's law required that blood be shed for the forgiveness of sins. The problem is we all have our own sins to pay for, so we can't, we can't substitute something else for our sins. So God said, I'll step in and I'll provide the sacrifice for you that you couldn't make for yourself. It did require the shedding of blood, but it required the shedding of blood of one who did not have sin of his own that he had to pay for. That's Jesus, who was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Only Jesus could substitute his blood for someone else's because only Jesus didn't have to pay for his own sin. So we are totally, every one of us, totally dependent. If we're going to have hope beyond this world, we are totally dependent on the work of Christ. So we can't hope 
and the temporary because the temporary things will let us down. We have to hope in the eternal. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Now some of you young people can't relate to this verse, but I want you to understand, it's coming. Outwardly, guess what's happening to you? You are wasting away. In fact, from the time you're born, that process starts. You don't feel the effects as much until you start getting a little older. If you're allowed to, to live a long enough life, you start seeing, experiencing, feeling this outward wasting away of the flesh. It happens to every human being that's ever been born. You are no exception. I want you to take good care of yourself. I want you to be healthy. I want you to eat good, eat well. I want you to exercise, do all those good things. And still, what's going to happen outwardly? The outward flesh is going to waste away. Still going to happen to every one of us. But he says we can have hope because that's the temporary thing and we're not focusing on that. Outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are eternal. But what is unseen? Why? Because what is unseen is very what is unseen is eternal. The older I get, the more I cling to that hope. Because the outward is wasting away. And even when you don't see it right away, and even when you don't feel it, it's happening. Here's what you have to know. The outward is temporary. This body you're living in right now, it's temporary. Inside this body is who you really are. And who you really are is eternal. It is eternal. It is your soul, your spirit. So the revelation you have is not for here and now. Our only hope is for here and now. Here now is so temporary. from our youth program. And we were talking about how we've seen this young lady grow up at Lakeshore. And, and how quickly to us it seemed to have happened. Now, for her, it probably didn't seem that quick. For us, it seemed like she was just a little girl right around the church here. It goes by faster than you think, friends, no matter what age you are right now. This is very, very temporary. We have to have some hope beyond this because this will be over soon. Soon you want to think. Then we're hoping for all the temporary things of this world. So we hope because we are hoping what is eternal. The third thing is this. We hope in the work of Christ, not our works. And, and I've already alluded to this, but I want to go back to it again because he talks about it here in verse 9. It says, and being found in him, speaking of Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, yes, to, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, but coming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, friends, our hope has to be in Christ, in the person of Christ and the work of Christ. Because our hope has to go beyond this world, and only the work of Christ gives us hope beyond this world. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to be able to participate in and get the benefits of his conquering of sin and death on the cross and in that tomb and then rising again. That's where our hope needs to lie then even if there's a pandemic, then even if we face injustice and unfairness in the world, then even if things don't work out the way we want them to with our education, our job, or our marriage, or, or our kids, or whatever it is, our hope is not just based on those things that are so temporary. Our hope lasts forever if it's hope in Christ and what Christ has done for us on the cross. 
That's where he wants us to focus our hope, on the work of Christ and not on our own works. Because no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard I work, my righteousness will be like filthy rags and yours will too compared to the beautiful perfection of the work of Christ. If you put your hope anywhere else, you don't really have hope beyond this world. In Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1, he said this, to us who are now know Christ, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In the flesh, what, we're, what are we deserving of? The wrath of God. That's what we deserve. Don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve, friends. I'll say it again. Don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve because we deserve to be objects of the wrath of God, all of us. He says, but, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one will be do not work to save yourself. I say good works, you say you're saved, you do good works, but you can never do enough good works. You totally depend on the grace of God. I say you're faith, you can be the ministries of grace, it's simple to you, so you can share in those across. I remember the guy, I can't share the king, a Bible in the Civil War, who was leading in battle, and they're at the location where they were going to camp the night, and they were ready to camp, and he looked at the officers and said, what do you need? And what did he mean? He didn't very long, don't get too attached to this. Biggest enemy that crush us and cause us to have so much anger, or or or, or cause us to be be so crushed that we don't want to go on. And and I've seen uh, I've seen people just falling apart because of having to deal with these things. It all comes down to well, you know, the biggest reason for that is because this is where their only hope is, the temporary things of this world. If this is all you have to hope in, and things don't go well here then your life is ruined. But if you've got a greater hope than that, that lasts beyond this world, and you know you can count on that, it doesn't mean you don't work to make this world better. Of course you do. But, but that's not where your hope is. Your hope goes beyond this world. There's something far better, far greater. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he tells us, speaking of Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By the work of Christ, the wounds that he took for us, that's where we find our healing. That's where we find our hope because we don't have it anywhere else. Many years ago, I, I preached a series of messages about heaven as our hope. And one of the things I talked about was how I, I want us to set up a Lake Shore reunion in heaven. And I want us to set up a place to meet when we get there. So, so if, you didn't, if you didn't already know this, you can mark this down, write it down, take notes here. When we get to heaven, when you get there, if you get there before me or if I get there before you, we're going to have a meet-up place, okay, in heaven. And the meet-up place we set, our other location was down near the lake, and it was on the southwest bank of, the, of Priest Lake. 
So here's what I said. We're going to meet on the southwest coast of the Crystal Sea when we get to heaven. Whatever gate's closest to the southwest shore of the Crystal Sea, we're going to meet inside that gate. So that's where the Lakeshore Reunion is going to be. Okay? So if you read about the description of heaven in Revelation, it talks about the gates and the Crystal Sea being there. Well, we'll meet there. Okay? Here, here's why. Because my hope is not just for me, and I'm so thankful for that. I want you to have this hope, and I want, I want to see you there. I want you to live with that hope in this world, and I want you to anticipate with great joy, with, with great excitement, being able to have this reunion together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family members and, and, and all those who've come to know Christ, even brothers and sisters from other parts of the world that we've never met. We're going to be able to rest in the fulfillment of that hope that there is an eternal place far better than anything in this world we could put our hope in. And that's what should keep us going. In Romans 6, verse 3, he said this, Don't you know that all of us who died, when we were therefore buried with him through baptism and the death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God, we too, we too may have a new life. For if we've been united with him like this, and death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. That's our hope. I want to take a moment to remember, to remember that we are with you. We thank you for the we have. We have the only one in whom we place hope. We remember his sacrifice with great joy and gratitude. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.